Do you know how to get to heaven from here? If someone met you on the street and asked for directions to heaven, what would your answer be? In the early 1970s, I sat in a college sociology class, and the professor asked that very question, how do you get to heaven from here? There were about 30 of us in the classroom, and the professor whittled the answer down to two and wrote them on the board. Answer number one was to obey the Ten Commandments and go to church regularly. Answer number two was to live a good life and not hurt anybody. Finally, the class voted. Nearly everyone cast their vote for either answer number one or answer number two. The professor cast his ballot last, and his vote was for number one. Stop right here. What is your answer? How do you get to heaven from here? Write your answer down or commit it to memory. How do you get to heaven from here? Is that your final answer? This is crucially important. Back in the 1970s, I hadn't yet cast my vote, so I raised my hand. The professor acknowledged me, and I asked whether he would accept Jesus Christ as the authority on how to get to heaven from here. The professor retorted, if we are Christians, we would have to. That being the case, I responded then, both answers on the board were incorrect. Jesus Christ, the authority, said in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The correct answer can only be born again. There is no other way. That's what Jesus, the authority, said. There were 600 years of cumulative pew sitting in that classroom, and no one knew how to get to heaven from there. Dear visitor, have you been born again? Born a most literal second time, this time of the Spirit of God, this time as a son or daughter of God? At born again, truly everything changes. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Born again begins with a new father a new name, a new purpose, and a new promise of glorious eternal life in Christ Jesus. In just a moment, I will invite you to follow me in a simple prompting. If you do, everything will most certainly change for you today. Today, all your sin and shame will be washed away by Christ's cleansing blood. Today, all of Satan's bondages in your life will be broken, every single one. Today, you will be born again and part of the greatest miracle man can ever know, a miracle that will last forever. Jesus said, except the man be born again, and he is the authority on the matter. Here is the simple prompt I promised. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. God said, Matthew 27, verse 35 through 43, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots. 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And set up over his head is accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. God said, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Man said, these fundamentalist extremist Christians are disconnected from reality. Can you imagine their Jesus and their old Bible are the answers to everything? Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1157 that will once again certify the marvelous supernatural inerrancy of God's holy Bible. All of these faith-building features are archived here in text and streaming audio free of charge and for the edification of the bloodbot. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for visiting. We are honored by your presence. May God's face shine upon you with light and truth. The scientists, academics, and philosophers wax eloquently as they speak in muse about what they call the singularity, the source of all that is. They seek what the redeemed have known since Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It is the commonwealth of the faith and known clearly by the faithful from the youngest to the ancients. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. They seek but cannot find. They are blind, they are deaf, and they are dumb. They are dead in their unbelief and in their trespasses and sins, yet they have convinced themselves and their blind, deaf, and dumb followers that they can, in fact, see, hear, and speak. In chapter 59, verse 10, the prophet Isaiah speaks of the condition of Israel, which would be comparable to the church today. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as, as, as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as in the night. We are in desolate places as dead men. In Daniel 9, 7 through 8, Brother Daniel laments of the sins of Israel. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of face as at this day. To the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, unto all Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespasses that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. The world's so-called wisest reject Jesus Christ, the blessed hope, the singularity, and they will remain blind, deaf, and dumb, and hopeless. They will remain in that sad condition until they fall upon their faces in repentance and surrender 
as they cry out for God's mercy, which is only discovered in Jesus Christ. He is the singularity. There is no other. At born again, the blind eyes begin to see. At born again, the deaf ears begin to hear and the tongue begins to speak. The word of God is the highest of the high. Psalms 138.2 tells us God has magnified his word above all his name. His word is not printer's ink and paper, for it is spirit and life. Speaking of Jesus Christ, John 1.14 reads, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Of King Jesus, Revelation 19.13 declares, And his name is called the Word of God. Moses speaks to the Hebrew people regarding the beautiful book in Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great? Who hath a God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? There is no book like our book. Psalms chapter 40, verse 7 speaks prophetically of Jesus Christ. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. You'll find the same passage quoted in the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus Christ is the word of God and the substance of every verse. Numerous features on God said, man said, delve into the singularity that is Christ Jesus. Everything must revolve around him, and it does, because Colossians 1, 19, 7, uh, 1, 9, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 19 says, This pleases the Father, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Jesus Christ is known as the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha and Omega are respectively the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, and collectively every letter in between and every word they form. Imagine, every word ever spoken must revolve around Jesus Christ. Good words are pro-Christ and bad words are anti-Christ. Every book ever written must by necessity bow before the king of words. It's just that simple. Jesus Christ is declared in the volume of the book. Several glorious examples will be reviewed before we address the latest on this subject on God Said, Man Said. Satan has mounted his attack on the Word of God from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Since then, he has paraded before the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, the brightest and sharpest champions of unbelief, to challenge and malign the Word of God. All of these attempts have failed. All. Jesus Christ is the singularity. He is the Lord of glory, and that is whether Satan and his champions like it or not. John 1, 10 through 12 applies. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, 
To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. This is the most magnificent of magnificent, the power to become sons and daughters of God. The following paragraphs are from God Said, Man Said, Jesus Christ, the Singularity, Part 1. Jesus Christ is the singularity, the allness of all creation. Everything by design must be, must be, uh, excuse me, must revolve around him because this pleases the Father. Nuclear physics know this is QCD or quantum chromodynamics. Dr. Gillen in his book Believing is Seeing weighs in regarding nuclear physics and QCD. We scientists believe the universe is pushed and pulled by four different forces. The strongest one, aptly named the strong force, holds together atomic nuclei the way corn syrup holds together popcorn balls. The strong force is at the very core of our physical being. It's what holds us together. Without it, poof, we disintegrate and blow away like dust in the wind. And that's not all. The strong force is a profound mystery. It originates deep within atomic nuclei out of sight and what we call quarks, the invisible and enigmatic components of protons and neutrons. End of quote. Without the strong force, Dr. Gillen writes, without it, poof, we disintegrate and blow away like dust in the wind. Everything, the earth, its universe, the life forms that inhabit it, everything was made out of the invisible by God. He most literally spoke all things into existence with his words of intent, and he spoke through Jesus Christ. It is also the power of these very words that nuclear physicists know as the strong force which holds all things together. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, verse 3 speaks of Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He upholds all things by the words of his power. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all thin things, and by him all things consist. By Jesus Christ, all things consist. The Oxford Dictionary defines consist to have a settled existence, subsist, hold together, exist, be. It also references Colossians 1.17, just quoted. In the strong force, nuclear physics has discovered the singularity that holds all things together. Thousands of years before science came to that conclusion, the children of God were already there enjoying the bounties of the beautiful book. What science calls the strong force, we correctly call Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.19, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, end of quote. The destiny of all humanity is dependent upon the cross of Jesus Christ. Salvation was purchased for those who call upon the name of Christ on Calvary's tree and is available no place else. Acts 4, 10 through 12, Be it known unto you all 
and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of ye, you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. If God knows the end from the beginning, and he does, then we should find this emblem of the cross everywhere, and we do. The following excerpts are from the God Said, Man Said feature, the cross and laminin. Jesus Christ is the center of our molecular structure. No discovery, scientific or otherwise, will ever controvert this truth. God is such a marvelous master of detail. His forethought and handiwork is glorious to behold. Keep in mind as we continue that God created all things by Christ Jesus and that he knows the end from the beginning. His foreknowledge is all-encompassing. Keep Revelation 13, 18 in mind as you visit this series. It speaks of the son of perdition and Christ. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. A brother in the Lord forwarded an email to God said, man said, concerning a sermon by Louis Giglio, which addressed laminin, a protein central to life, and its association with Jesus Christ. Surely the master of detail shows his hand. Concerning laminin, Wikipedia reports the following. Laminins are major proteins in the basal lamina, one of the layers of the basement membrane, a protein network foundation for most cells and organs. The laminins are an important and biologically active part of the basal lamina, influencing cell differentiation, migration, adhesion, as well as phenotype and survival. Laminins are trimeric proteins. The trimeric proteins intersect to form a cross-like structure that can bind to other cell membrane and extracellular matrix molecules. The three shorter arms are particularly good at binding to other laminin molecules, which allows them to form sheets. The long arm is capable of binding to cells, which helps anchor organized tissue cells to the membrane. The laminins are a family of gly glycoproteins that are an integral part of the structural scaffolding in almost every tissue of an organism. They are secreted and incorporated into cell-associated extracellular matrices. Laminin is vital for the maintenance and survival of tissues. And quote, to recap, laminin influences cell differentiation, influences cell migration, influences phenotype and survival, is the scaffolding in almost every tissue of an organism, and laminin is that which holds life together. The following is a picture of laminin. Do you think it's coincidental that laminin is shaped just like the cross of Jesus? Again, Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Noah Webster defines consist to stand together, to be in a fixed or permanent state as a body composed of parts in union or connection, hence to be supported and maintained, end of quote. Everything, all things, revolve around Jesus Christ, and certainly biologically, because this pleases the Father, end of quote. 
Some things often seem unrelated to Christ, but when one looks a little closer, Jesus Christ, God's singularity, will appear. Back to the God said, man said feature, Jesus Christ, the singularity. One gesture means the same thing in every language. Hands raised above one's head with palms facing outward is the universal sign of unconditional surrender. As you should expect, this revolves around Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Just hours before his crucifixion, Jesus prays in the garden three times, asking the Father for a reprieve from the terrible suffering that lay before him. In each request, Jesus unconditionally surrendered his will to God. Matthew chapter 26, 39, 42, 44. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as thy will, but as thou wilt. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. When he was nailed to the cross, it was unconditional surrender, hands lifted high and palms facing outward. In Psalms 141, the lifting up of the hands is equated to the evening sacrifice. This is not mere happenstance. Psalms 141 verse 2, Let my prayer be set before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. The sacrifice, of course, is the Old Testament shadow of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Romans 12:1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And how about this amazing verse? Luke 9:23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. A person who is born again is a walking, living sacrifice who takes up his or her cross daily, following the King of glory with hands lifted high and palms facing outward in unconditional surrender. The sign of the cross is hands lifted high and palms facing outward. The Old Testament is a shadow bringing us unto the fulfillment of all things, Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. The blood sacrifice itself is the shadow of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on that wooden cross on Calvary's hill. The children of Israel stood in the shadow of the cross in the Old Testament. A prime example is the Jewish Passover, an event central to who they are. The following excerpts are again from Jesus Christ the Singularity, Part 1. An excellent example of the marvelous principle of the Old Testament shadow bringing us to Christ is found in the Jewish Passover. The children of Israel were in bondage under the heavy hand of Pharaoh, a Satan's shadow, and were slaves unto the Egyptian people. 
Moses is a Christ figure in the Old Testament, and he goes to Pharaoh to speak on behalf of God, telling Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh refuses, and a series of deadly plagues falls upon Egypt. The final plague that broke Pharaoh's stranglehold on the Jewish people was the slaying of the firstborn. Exodus 11, 4 through 6, And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beast. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. The Passover lamb was uh, Passover lamb, excuse me, was central to this final plague upon Egypt. Regarding the blood of the lamb, Exodus 12:21 through 23 reads, "Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, "Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin." and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of that house, out, of, out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. Watch the shadow now as it meets the marvelous fulfillment in Christ. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. John the Baptist says of Christ in John 1:29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ is crucified on the Jewish Passover, and 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7 reads, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. When the destroyer sees the blood applied to the house, he must pass over that home. Exodus 12:23. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lentil and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. When Satan sees the blood of Christ applied to the doorpost and lintel of the believer's heart, he must pass over. Thus the name Passover. God commands the faithful to observe the Passover forever, which we do in observance of the Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ was crucified on the Passover. The entire Old Testament revolves around Jesus Christ because it pleases the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Jesus Christ is the singularity, the allness, end of quotes. Now watch the Passover in the shadow of the cross of Christ, a cross upon which he hung and died on the Passover. You're looking at it right now. So you see the sign of the cross. There's the lentil, the blood applied to the lentil, doorpost, the blood applied to the two doorposts, and you have the sign of the cross. The day approaches when Christ our Lord will enter Jerusalem by way of the famed Eastern Gate. All of creation focuses on the East because the sun, the life force of all physical things, was so created by God to rise every day in the East. 
a few verses from Ezekiel will drive home the importance of the East. Ezekiel 43, 2. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the East, and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. Ezekiel 41, 1 through 3. Then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary, which looketh toward the east, and it was shut. Then said the Lord unto me, This gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened, and no man shall enter in by it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, hath entered in by it. Therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince. The prince, he shall sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate, and shall go out by the way of the same. The Jewish tabernacle was a place for God to dwell in the nation of Israel. It was the heart of Israel, and all revolved around it. This was the place of reconciliation unto God. This was the place of the blood sacrifice for the atonement of sin. This was the house of the laws and ordinances of life. Dr. Chuck Missler addresses Israel and the Old Testament shadow of the cross in his book, Cosmic Codes, Hidden Message from the Edge of Eternity. Excerpts follow. In Numbers chapter 1 and 2, we encounter the census of the people and the detailed instructions for their encampment. Why? What hidden insights lies behind them? Of course, there are many valid historical reasons for the inclusion of these details in the Torah, the five books of Moses, but our premise is that there isn't any detail included that isn't there by deliberate design. If we examine these details more closely, some remarkable insights emerge. When Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, he also received detailed specifications and instructions for the building of a portable sanctuary, the tabernacle or tent of meeting. The purpose of this unusual facility was to provide a place for God to dwell among his people. The tabernacle was always set up at the center of the camp of Israel facing eastward. The tribe of Levi was assigned to care for it and encamped about it. Moses, Aaron, and the priest encamped on the east side next to the entrance. The three families of the tribe of Levi, Merari, Kohath, and Gershon, camped on the north, south, and west side, respectively. The remaining 12 tribes were grouped into four camps around the Levites. The 12 remaining tribes, excluding the Levites, were grouped into four camps. Each of these groups, of three tribes each, were to rally around the tribal standard of the lead tribe. Judah's tribal standard was, of course, the lion. Reuben's ensign was a man. Ephraim's the ox. Dan's ultimately the eagle. It is interesting to note that these four primary tribal standards, the lion, the man, the ox, and the eagle, are the same as the four faces of the strange living creatures that always appear surrounding the throne of God. It would seem that the camp of Israel, with the tabernacle in the middle, would appear to be a model of the throne of God. His appearance in the center, represented by the tabernacle, encircled by the four faces, this all surrounded by his people. But there's even more. Why the specific numbers? The numbering of the tribes is detailed in Numbers chapter 1. The actual population represented is obviously somewhat larger than these uh, enumerations since only men over 20 and able to go to war were counted. Most analysts assume that women, children, and the elderly would multiply the count factor by three or whatever. The total camp would thus appear to be approximately two million. 
While the numbers of each tribe may not seem very revealing, the totals for each of the four camps will prove to be. Judah uh, and his group, the total was 186,400. Reuben and his group was 151,450. Ephraim and his group, 108,100. And Dan and his group, 157,600. This is the age of 20 and up males. The tribes of Judah, Issachar and Zebulun, collectively called the camp of Judah, had to encamp east of the Levites. This poses a technical problem. Notice that if the breadth of their camp was larger than that of the Levites, the excess would be southeast and northeast, not east. Therefore, if they were to comply strictly to their instructions, their camp could only be as wide as that of the Levites, and they then would have to extend eastward to obtain whatever space they required. The camps of Reuben, Ephraim, and Dan had the same constraints on the south, west, and north, respectively. The length of each leg would thus be proportional to the total population in each camp. If we assemble what we can infer from the Torah account, we can imagine what the camp of Israel looked like from above, the tabernacle and the Levites in the center, surrounded by the four faces of the tribal standards, and each of the four camps of Judah, Ephraim, Reuben, and Dan, stretching out in the four cardinal directions. We can also tally the size of each tribe, to total the relative length of each camp as they stretched out in each of the four directions. See the plan view on a relative scale, which follows. Now, this is the layout of the camp of Israel and an aerial view. If you were approaching from the east, this is what you would see. It would appear that when the Israelites encamped, they formed a giant cross. This is a macro code indeed, and this is from the Torah, not the New Testament. Again, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed, end of quotes. When the God of Israel approaches Israel from the east, his aerial view is the cross of Calvary. Coincidence? Certainly not. The shadow of the cross of reconciliation in the Old Testament camp of Israel is the cross of Jesus Christ, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Finally, the following observation is found in the God Said, Man Said feature, Jesus Christ, the Singularity, Part 3. The world's history is measured in the name of God's singularity, Jesus Christ. It galls the skeptics that this is the same Christ whom the ignorant refused to acknowledge even existed in the first place. In spite of their railings, all people, skeptic and believer alike, are born in his name. For example, the official birth date of a Christ denier born on January 1, 1990, would be January 1, 1990 A.D. A.D. is the abbreviation that stands for Anno Domini, which is Latin for in the year of our Lord. Events that occur before Christ's birth are dated B.C. or before Christ. The skeptic is born in his name, will live every moment in his name, and will die in his name, yet deny the Christ of glory all the while. How sad, how disappointing. The following excerpts are from J.H. Tyner's book, The World of Mathematics. A time-measuring system has to have a starting point. The day is measured from midnight. 
years are measured from midnight on January 1. Longer periods of time are given as A.D. or B.C. These are references to the birth of Jesus Christ. Until about the 1500s, people counted years based on the king who ruled at the time. For instance, the Bible, in the Gospel of Luke, describes the year John the Baptist began preaching as the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Luke 3, verse 1. Counting years by different kings can be confusing. The 15th year of the reign of the king of one country might be entirely different from the reign of the king of another country. The new Gregorian calendar also officially changed uh, how years were numbered. Jesus was called the king of kings. People began measuring the years from the date they thought Jesus had been born. Years after his birth are designated A.D. The letters are from Anno Domini, meaning in the year of our Lord. Years before his birth are given the letters B.C., which means before Christ, end of quote. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and every second revolves around him because this pleases the Father. Everything revolves around Jesus Christ, God's allness, his singularity, and that's whether carnal man likes it or not. Man's science seeks the singularity, and hallelujah, we have found him. God said, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. God said, Matthew 27, 35 through 43, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vestures did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. God said, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Man said, these fundamentalist extremist Christians are disconnected from reality. Can you imagine their Jesus and their old Bible are their answers to everything? Now you have the record. 